welcome back to Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. Today I'm talking with husband and wife authors Will Ellert and Kelly Kazer. Will is the author of Alabama Lore. Kelly is the author of Athens and Limestone County, A History of Alabama's Deadliest Tornadoes, Hidden History of Auburn, Forgotten Tales of Alabama, Christmas Tales of Alabama, and Forgotten Tales of Tennessee. Together they have co-authored Alabama Scoundrels and Covered Bridges of Alabama. Kelly has a new book coming out April 6, 2020, entitled A Guide to the South's Quirkiest Roadside Attractions. Kelly is a journalist, humor columnist, and a blogger. She has won more than 180 state and national press awards and twice served as president of the Alabama Associated Press Media Editors. Will is a writer and a weirdologist who loves telling stories, whether as a tour guide to historic Huntsville or with friends around a campfire. He can often be found off the beaten path researching historical, weird, or unusual tales. Kelly and Will live in Huntsville, Alabama together. Kelly and Will, thanks for being on. I'm really excited to talk to the two of you. I've been wanting to talk to y'all for a long time. Oh, oh good. Is, yeah, good. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Sure. And uh, I'll tell you, I've been a fan of you two for a while now. And it's really fun when you have a couple who are great writers and you two have an appreciation for history and tales. And I've, I'll tell you, I gave Covered Bridges of Alabama as a gift last year for Christmas. And Alabama scandal, Scoundrels I've been given before that. And uh, it's apparent that you both have a love for writing and history, and especially history that's not well known, which I love a lot, and sharing those stories. So Yeah, exactly. How did we each do you... love the... the quirky history. Oh, we you... enjoy writing things that other people don't know well, about. You know, Kelly, the thing about that is like the quirky history is often like a story of how the greater story is known and it's, it, it kind of is the background to the better known story a lot of the time. That's true. That's true. And it's more that's fun. Actually how, that's actually how Will and I met. Uh, he was telling... Um, historical ghost stories in downtown Huntsville and that's how we met and I had already been writing and so we got together and just started traveling around writing these stories well you already answered my first question (laughs) (laughs) that was easy enough I was going to ask if that's what brought y'all together now I know that's great it It really did so did y'all each so obviously Will already loved those kind of things. Kelly, did you already love that kind of history before you met Will? Yeah. Well, I was an uh, an editor at a small community paper here in Alabama for 11 years, and I used to seek out that kind of thing. Um, In fact, one time people were calling me the cemetery lady because I love to write the backstories of weird uh, headstones. But after I left there, I went to a much bigger platform, and I now write for It's a Southern Thing, and I write about quirky Southern history. But I gave that as an excuse when I gave Will my phone number. I said, I write quirky stories, and since you know some, we need to talk. Wow. Well, that was that was smooth. I like it. It was. It was. <laughs> I give that an A+. plus. That was great. By the way, I'm going to give it a shout-out. I love It's a Southern Thing. I love uh, anything they post. I love it. I love the videos. I love the articles. Uh, a great website. I'll give it a plug right here. Uh, I love that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, the video team is so hilarious. I love those folks. Yeah, and I hope they, they get the money together job. for their uh, pilot episode, too. So, 
Yes, they did. So they're working on it now. Very good. Very good. Now, I got to tell you, my mama's people is from northeast Alabama. So, you know, the Jacksonville, Piedmont, Gatson area. Right. Yes. So from the I actually went to JSU. Really? All right. Yep. He'll go Gamecocks. He so. played football there. You did? What year did you play football? 93 through 96. Oh, Coach Bill Burgess? Yes. Oh. <laughs> All right. See? So we we know a little bit about each other just from that. And then in my uh, Alabama lore book, I actually have the Piedmont Puck Wedgie as one of my stories. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. So that's from my mom's stomping grounds. And, of course, you know, my grandfather used to scare me with the uh, one-armed Girl Scout from Camp Cotaquilla. <laughs> so... You know, so you have all these stories for the Piedmont Puck Wedgie, uh, you know, to America's first serial killers throughout y'all's books. That's virtually right, unknown. Yeah, the Hart Brothers. Yeah. So how are the two of you coming across these interesting stories that fill the pages of your books? You go, go ahead. ahead. A couple of ways. We we stop at every historical marker. I mean, we might just be driving around, and most people are, you know, going to shops or going to lunch. We're going to cemeteries and historical markers, and you come across a lot of stories when you look for the backstory. But we also do lots and lots of research. For us, it's more fun than work. So what do you think, Will? Uh, I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of times I'll hear the stories or some version of a story from people, and it makes me want to know more about it. And then so I'll go out and research it and find just all kind of personal connections people have to them. And the personal connections people have to stories is kind of what my favorite thing is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's I feel like it's a lost art because I have a gift to gab. And, you know, I have a job that I do part-time that, I'm, thankfully, Arcadia and the History Press lets me do where I work at a local museum. Uh, not a lot, not often, but sometimes the powder magazine, uh, downtown here in Charleston and just, it allows me to be able to, you know, just talk to folks. And it's amazing how much of a lost art farm that can be to be able to talk to people about the places they come from and just how much information you can find out about a place from their folklore, uh, lets you know a little bit about actual history from people's folktales. Right. You know, one thing that I would always talk about when I do historic tours is there was a lot of history that happened before people learned how to write. Mm -hmm. And that history is lost. And then as we go in more into the digital age, we lose more and more history. Even though we have the means to preserve it better, we lose it faster. Because people aren't writing anymore. Just think how many letters and journals gave us so much history and we don't have those anymore. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. And and the way letter writing was an art form, too. We have uh, recently my father gave me my great grandmother uh, had some letters saved from her brother who was on um, who was on a battleship during World War Two. And the just it was almost artfully the way he wrote home, just asking, you know, about his mother and uh, how how my great grandmother was doing and how he talked about life on board of a ship. It wasn't just, hey, how are you doing? I'm bored here on the ship. We just recently reached another port. It was uh, full sentences and uh, complete right. thoughts that you just don't see anymore, it feels like. You know, I uh, rented a house for a while, and while doing things around the house, I found this old letter stuffed into a crevice. It was from a woman in England who had written to these people during World War II because their son 
had been killed in a training accident in England, and this lady wanted the family to know that they were buried in the cemetery there and how the townspeople looked after the cemetery where their son was buried. Wow. That's, That's incredible. Really cool. And they give and letters really give a lot of insight into boring and daily life. So, you know, but now we find it fascinating. So. Yeah, absolutely it does. If you uh, for instance, when one of the places here that's in in the area that's really close to me and it's a place I used to work at, um, Drayton Hall, it sounds boring, but the second generation owner of the property, we have his diary. And it's a lot of mundane things you would think of in his diary, but it lets you know what happened on the plantation. And it gives you an insight into the life of an early 19th century low country plantation and what it would take to run a place like that. And that's invaluable right, for historians. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So I want to give people a taste of what your books are about. You write a lot about Alabama, but you also write a lot about the South. And Kelly, we're going to talk about your new book coming out soon, um, okay. a little bit later in the story or in our interview. Um, but I do want to, you know, just give a, a kind of a broad stroke about your other past books too. And Will, a story that I heard when I was a kid and that used to keep me up at night thinking about it because I didn't just want to vanish in my little kid brain. I couldn't handle it was Orion Williamson. And you talk about him in your book, Alabama lore. Will you tell us a short version of this tale? I, I certainly would. You mean do it now or you mean do it later or what? Right now would be great. Okay. So Orion Williamson was a farmer down near Selma, Selma, Alabama. And he was very interesting because he was talking to his wife and kid, and he walked out into the cornfield, and he saw – it wasn't a cornfield. He walked out into the field, and he saw a buggy come in. The buggy, people waved at him, and then he just vanished into thin air. He was walking, and people saw him there, and then he was just gone. And no one saw him and went over, and uh, the wife would go back and could hear him talking for days and days and days. But they never could find him. Now that has trickled down over the years into a lot of different urban legends and stuff that can pretty well be disproven. But Orion Williamson is kind of the first one of these, and there's no way to prove that it didn't happen. Like unlike a lot of the others that have come after that are just a remake of the Orion Williamson story. Yeah, and like I said, you know it's. You already feel kind of like, you know, vulnerable as a kid. So when you hear that tell you, just think about you're walking around and all of a sudden you're not there anymore. It's like a Twilight Zone episode because, you know, his wife heard his voice coming from that spot, mm-hmm. according to legend. And so it's just, it's really kind of spooky. It really is, yeah. And, you know, if you grow up in the South, you grow up in the Bible Belt. And so, you know, and if you're sitting in church, you hear all kinds of stuff, you know, excludingly, and people around the nation may know, you know, about what we talk about when we say the word rapture. So you kind of think like, well, did something like that happen to him? You know, and you just go to all these different places. So I lost many a sleepless night just trying to figure out, you know, what happened to him. So Orion Williamson has been with me for a long time. So when I ran back across him, across him in that book, I was just like, oh, no, when I... It was like a demon coming back to visit me or something, but it was really cool to see that tale being told in a book again. So thanks for writing about it, Ryan. I'm glad other Well, you know, it's, in, it's interesting. Ambrose Bierce actually was the first one to pick up the Orion Williamson story, 
in San Francisco, and then of course you know that he later disappeared without a trace. Yeah, I mean, just where does it stop? You know. Hopefully, I won't disappear without a trace. And Ambrose Bierce, of course, is a real. He was a writer during the Civil War. Wrote all kinds of fascinating stories, but he was fascinated with Orion Williamson. So it, it's, you know, no one knows what happened to him. No one knows that where he died or where he went. I love it. See, these are the kind of stories you're going to get from Will and Kelly's books. That's why you guys need to go to ArcadiaPublishing.com or your local bookstore and pick them up. Now, both Definitely. of you have written about the Alabama White thing. I need y'all to tell me, how did this creature get its unique Alabama name? Well, first of all, it's Thang. <laughs> it's the Alabama White Thang. Yep. I'll, I'll let Will talk about this one. So, the Alabama White Thang, and uh, he's described as a bunch of different ways. Some people say he looks like an albino Bigfoot or a Yeti. Some people say it looks like a creature that's the size of a cow with uh, the head and tail of a lion. And then some people say he's just a gigantic white deer-looking creature. Uh, and, and I've been at events, and I've had people come up and tell me how they were out hunting and they've seen the Alabama white thing, uh, and all kind of just. He's very popular in North Alabama and uh, Eastern Mississippi because he's just been seen everywhere by lots and lots of people. I mean, you got. I mean, Alabama's got so many cool names for. You know, creatures like boogers, and you know, you got <laughs> yes. you got so many different kind of ghosts there. I mean, you got a you got a phantom that hugs people to death, you know, or scares them. I mean, it's hugging Molly. Yeah, hugging Molly. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's an incredible state. Um, Alabama's you know, it's one of my favorite places. Um, obviously, I got a family connection there. Uh, it, it's, it's just a great place to read about and to know about. And in, in the South in general, we have you know really neat folklore here because we have. Um, such a rich uh, cornucopia of um, different cultures that are here in the South, I think. That helps add to our stories here. Right. You know, one thing about Alabama, you always hear stories about the Wild West and the gunfighters and everything. At one point, Alabama kind of was the Wild West oh, part frontier. of the country. Because, yeah. Yes. And uh, the outlaw situation here was so bad that Bibb County, Alabama was called Bloody Bibb County. <laughs> I mean, even, but then, you know, you brought that up about it being the Wild West, but even in the Wild West days, I mean, you had the, you have that, you, you had that chapter, I think, y'all, in the Scoundrels book about the James Gang, you know, not really Robin, yes. but being involved in what, near Huntsville, right? Yes. And, uh, it's a, it's a big legend here that Jesse James robbed the, the bank that overlooks what was now Big Spring Park and then jumped off. The cliff on his horse in Huntsville. In Huntsville here, <laughs> uh, but that never happened. There's no proof that that ever happened, or Jesse James ever even came to Huntsville. But we do know Frank James is in Huntsville because it was his last criminal trial that Frank Frank James had in his, to end his outlaw career was here in Huntsville. Yeah, and you know, and I've talked about this on other podcasts too. But going back to the frontier thing, I mean. Showing that Alabama was a frontier, especially in the early 1800s, um, there was a certain former vice president that was arrested in the frontier of you know Alabama too, Aaron Burr. Yes, Aaron Burr. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy how much history happens in Alabama. It's it, yeah, you know, it he still was continues. arrested because they thought he was trying to mm -hmm. help form a coup to take over the government, 
<laughs> and then he goes back on trial and he gets off. It's and that's, yep. that whole story is an interesting story too. And I, you know, I've talked about that. We had a, I had an author on earlier, um, Joe Kuhai, who wrote Hidden History of Mobile. And we went into that story a little bit too. And we uh, talked about a little bit of the Charleston connection because Aaron Bird's daughter actually married a, Charleston, a South Carolinian, Charlestonian here. Um, so did we have she a, disappeared too, though? She did. That's right. She, uh, she disappeared at sea. Yeah. Yep. And there's a legend actually up the coast about where she may have uh, come ashore there because um, they believe they found her photograph or her, her portrait that she was taken to her father. So, you know, really interesting story there. But uh, it is. I, it's 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 insane. It's it's you know, who knows what happened. But I like to drive home how local history affects national history, which affects world history. Uh, an Alabama scoundrel is an example of this is Civil War veteran Lewis Powell. And it seemed like oh, yes. there was a series of circumstances from getting injured to Gettysburg on that led him to that fateful night in April 1865. Not excusing what he did because he still had a choice in the matter. Would one of right, you introduce right. us to this young guy and young man? And uh, so many people seem to forget, too, that President Lincoln wasn't the only target on that night. Oh, right. Well, Lewis Powell... Um went by other names um, as an adult. He had some aliases, but he went by Lewis Payne and and with two spellings, P-A-Y-N-E and P-A-I-N-E. But he was born in Randolph County, Alabama, and people are shocked to find that we had a um, conspirator in the Lincoln conspiracy who was born in Alabama, and he was one of those who was hanged for, for that his part in that conspiracy. He was sent to kill Secretary of State William Seward, and he failed in this. He, he hurt him really badly, but he was run off by Seward's son, and Seward survived with many scars. He had problems the rest of his life, but he was captured, and he was hanged with, you know, Mary Surratt was the woman who caused so much controversy when they hung her, but um, people are, are shocked to know that he's from Alabama. Yeah, and I think Seward's son uh, was injured too because he tried to block it with his own with his arms, um, right? Trying to block right. the knife attacks. Because, well, Seward was recovering from a, a a wagon injury at the time, and so he was already injured when all this went on. But yes, his son came to his rescue. Yeah, I think uh, the vice president Johnson, Andrew Johnson, right? He was a target too, but I, I think that conspirator lost his nerve. And didn't go after right. Yeah. He he just backed out altogether, slunk away. <laughs> yeah, it's just to see. This is the crazy history that you know is people just don't realize and know about. A history to me is just you know, people ask me, "Hey, have you have you read this book?" It's you know, it's a fiction book, and I'm not slamming fiction books at all because you know I enjoy. You know, I enjoyed watching Game of Thrones and things of that nature, but when I go to read, I love reading history books because to me, history is so much more interesting um, than really any work of fiction I could ever read or have read in the past. So I just you know love reading these kind of stories. Uh, that's what me I, too. I like and, to do. And, and they're definitely more, you know, they say truth is stranger than fiction. It's definitely more entertaining um, when you get the right pieces of history. All right, so... Another reason I love books like the two of you write, beside the strange stories and folktales, is often the forgotten tragic history, such as the story of the maritime disaster, not on the open ocean, 
bud on the Mississippi River above Memphis, and has to tell the SS Sultana, and it was overshadowed. What happened to the ship, and who was on board, and why was it overshadowed? That That is a crazy story because so many people don't know about it. They don't know um, how many connections there were to Alabama, but so many don't know about it at all. But it was it, it had way more deaths than the Titanic, and yet nobody knows. But what she was, she was um, a ship who, that was um, taking POWs, the people who were released after the war in 1865. Um, she was, they were going to get to go home. And so what they did was they overpacked the ship way past its capacity. Um, I believe there was like uh, 2,000 people on board. And that, so when um, the boilers exploded, three of the boilers exploded, um, everybody was packed in and couldn't get out. Basically, they were all killed. Not all, but um, I forget how many were saved. Do you mm-hmm. know, Will? But they took they took 780 people to local Memphis hospitals when they were able to get them out of the water, and uh, you know, when you, anytime you have an event like that, there's always a different amount of how many people died. Mm-hmm. The uh, the War Department claimed the number that there were 931 survivors and 1,259 deaths. Uh, the Customs Service, who investigated, it, said there were 1,500 deaths. And uh, as they've kind of looked back over history, they have told up about 1,200 deaths. Right. And then number 1547 was from the Customs Service, and it it was where, you know, this was worse than the Titanic. But more recently, they think evidence points to the fact that there were 1,100 deaths. Mm. And this is the same time period when the nation was dealing with the Lincoln assassination, too. Right, and we were focused and that's on that. Why it really took the headlines, and there were uh, so that's why most people don't know about this. There is a memorial, uh, a really cool memorial in Memphis, and a cemetery, and there, I think there are several around the South. And an interesting thing to show how history a lot of times ties together, uh, because when Kelly wrote about the Sultana in one of her books, this was before she and I had ever met, and then in my book Alabama Lore, when we talk about Fort Morgan or Castle Morgan down in the town of Cahaba, that's where a lot of those prisoner wars were coming from that were on the Sultana. And it's funny, I had also written for a magazine, I'd written an article about the Sultana before I met Kelly, so it's just kind of one of those weird things how everything ties in together. Right, and Cahaba is where our first, Alabama's first capital was, and it's a really cool place to visit. It's open as a a historical park. But yes, it was a, a POW camp for a while, and that's where a lot of the men came from who were on the ship. Well, before I let you two go, Kelly, you have a new book coming out that we're going to be working on. In fact, I'm going to be talking to you Monday about it. And the book okay. comes out on April 6, 2020, and it's entitled A Guide to the South's Quirkiest Roadside Attractions. Do you want to give us a little preview of where the book takes us and what we can expect? Oh, yeah. Well, fortunately, the title really says it all. But what's fun about this, every time I speak at some at an event, people say, well, can you tell us some places to visit? Can you give us a list? And, and you know, it's, it's really hard to do that. There's so many of them. So what I did was I took 11 states in this book, and I do I go through all kinds of quirky places to visit, and it has the address and the phone number and how to get there, and um, it's a little bit about the history. Of course, there wasn't a lot of room with that many entries to write long histories. There are longer histories in our other books. 
but this is a guide that tells you how to go and visit these these weird places. That's anything all- from world's largest to, you know, <laughs> odd headstones to anything, it's all in there. Well, that sounds like a fun book. I can't wait to see it. Um, I'll all tell right. you real quick that we went to, uh, in Georgia, where there's a baby elephant carved uh, that's on top of a grave of a circus owner. And the elephant was carved life-size of a baby elephant. It's really cool. But it's things like that that are in the book. Where is that at in Georgia? It's near Moultrie. I think it's... Oh, uh, near Cairo. Thomasville? Uh, yeah, kinda, kinda. Okay, yeah, yeah. My my mother in law and my sister in law live in Thomasville, so. I, I know it's really, yeah. in the middle of, it's really in the middle of nowhere. Hard to find cemetery. I might have to go down there and uh, look for that next time I visit. Supposedly, they carved the headstone because when the owner of the circus died, the baby elephant grieved over him. Right, and followed the followed the funeral procession. Oh well, that's cool and sad at the same time. Very much so. All right, so I have one more question to ask, but before I ask my final question, I want to say, I want to give you guys a chance to let people know where to find y'all at. Uh, if you guys have a, you know, Twitter accounts, Facebook, or anything like that. Go ahead, Kelly. She, she does more of that than I do. Well, kellykazik.com is my own personal blog where when we go on travels, I write about everything we've seen and share our photos. But my, I also do that same kind of writing for It's a Southern Thing at southernthing.com. But It's a Southern Thing has so much fun stuff, so many funny videos. They do so true, y'all. And they're just, we have a hilarious video team. But you can find my stuff there, and you can find it on kellykazik.com. You can find my Facebook page, Kelly Kazik's Weird South. Um, yes, and every other platform. Twitter, Instagram, even Pinterest. You can find me. Uh, I have a website, but I don't really I haven't kept it updated. So that's one of my goals for the new year is to uh, do my website because you know when I speak and it's even in the front intro of my book, I consider myself a writer, adventurer, and weirdologist because everybody comes to me with weird questions or weird happenings. So eventually, my weirdologist.com is going to be my website, but it's not up yet. So you can find me on Facebook, uh, and you can find me on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm not Will Elric. On Instagram, I'm Sweetum Squatch. Um, <laughs> because Kelly, a lot of times in her columns and stuff for AL.com, and it's a Southern thing, refers to me as Sweetums. Uh, and then everyone thinks that I have a Bigfoot fascination, so I just kind of took and combined the two to Sweetum Squatch. <laughs> It's uh, perfect. It, it it is. Uh and in my full time job, people all the time will go, Are you sweetums? <laughs> and I'm like, Yes, yes well, I am. There aren't that many six foot seven guys around. So. <laughs> oh man, I love it. So last question, and it's I think I know the answer because it seems like you've enjoyed it all the time. What's it like working together? When you come together on books to work together. It's fun. It's fun. We, uh, you know, I I tell people all the time I could not have found a better, better, weirder, more unique partner to have in life than Kelly. Uh, (laughs) Well, thank you, dear. (laughs) A lot of times, and and that really spills over into our into our writings and our uh, just different weird things that we plan. 
It is. It's we, we write our sections uh, individually usually and then try to bring them all together and get them all sort of in the same style. But we can help each other with uh, editing and with the determining topics and all that kind of thing. That's, it sounds like a great partnership. It is. That's that's great. It's what I like to hear. Um, and I look forward to many more books and articles and I really enjoy working with you, and I'm glad I finally got a chance to talk to you guys. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. It was, and we're actually planning on coming to Charleston, so we're going to come get a guy get a guided tour of the museum from you. Oh, of the powder! Ma- let me know when you're coming to the powder magazine, and I'll let them know. And uh, yeah, yeah will. I'll come down there, and we'll uh, I'll make sure I'm down there that day. And I used to be a tour guide here in the city, so I'll be happy to show you around. Oh, That's awesome! Great. Yeah, and uh, come by Arcadia too. I'll be ha- we'll be happy to have you at Arcadia. Oh, that that would be great. I would love to see it. Yeah, yeah, be sure. All right. I'll, 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 hey, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that too. Can I, can I do one shameless plug for Arcadia before we go? Of course. Because this is something I tell people all the time. History Press and Arcadia are doing more to keep local history alive than any company or organization I have ever seen. I want to thank Will for his kind words and thank both Will and Kelly again for joining us. And I want to thank you, the audience, for listening. You can find Will Elric, that is W-I-L, Will, and Elric is E-L-R-I-C-K, and Kelly Kazik. Surely you can spell Kelly, but Kazik is K-A-Z-E-K, books at ArcadiaPublishing.com or at your local bookstore. While you're at ArcadiaPublishing.com, enter in your zip code in the search bar to see what books Arcadia Publishing and the History Press has on your town. If you have an idea for a book and want to tell your local history story, reach out to Arcadia by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com. Scroll on down to the bottom of the page and click the Make Me an Author link. It's the first step in writing your own history book and telling the history of your town, state, or region. If you have questions for me or episode suggestions, shoot me an email at ArcadiaAuthorConversations.com at gmail.com as always I want to thank my pals Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song remember you can visit them on Facebook at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project I'll talk to you soon